This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Crown and Anchor Greyhounds. This is Richmond Till We Die, a conversation about the Apple TV Plus show Ted Lasso, where we explore the characters, their relationships to each other, how they're able to make us laugh until we can hardly breathe one moment and then feel with the deepest parts of our hearts the next. I'm Christian. I don't know what an actual Wolverine looks like, so I'm just going to work under the assumption that the University of Michigan's mascot is one of the X-Men. And I'm Brett. And as a millennial, I feel like I deserve a participation trophy for hosting this episode. For this bonus episode, we are thrilled to welcome sports journalist and author John U. Bacon. John is a writer, a public speaker, and a college instructor. He has authored 10 books on sports, business, health, and history, six of which are national bestsellers, including Bo's Lasting Lessons, Endzone, and The Great Halifax Explosion. John also appears often on TV, including HBO, ESPN, Fox Business, MSNBC, and the Big Ten Network. John is a popular speaker on leadership, diversity, motivating millennials, and creativity. He has taught at Northwestern's Medal School of Journalism and teaches at the University of Michigan, where the students selected him for the 2009 Golden Apple Award, which is given annually to the university's top teacher. John is also a huge hockey fan. In high school, he played for the Ann Arbor Huron High School River Rats and never scored a goal. Yet somehow, years later, he found himself leading his alma mater's downtrodden program. The team hadn't won a game in over a year, making them the nation's worst squad. But with almost everyone expecting more failure, Bacon made it special to play for Huron by making it hard, which inspired the players to excel. Then he defied conventional wisdom again by putting the players in charge of team discipline, goal setting, and even decision making. And you know what? It worked. In just three seasons, the River Rats bypassed 95% of the nation's teams. It's an experience that John has written about in his latest book, Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. It's a book that has tons of endorsements, the best of which, in our eyes, is Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, who proclaimed, it's Ted Lasso meets the Mighty Ducks. So, Greyhounds, please join us as we give a warm welcome to fellow Ted Lasso fan, John U. Bacon. Woo! Thanks for being with us, John. (laughs) Thank you, Brett and Christian. Looking forward to it. Yeah, um, Brett and I both have backgrounds in working at colleges and universities much like you do and so we kind of understand that millennial mindset a little bit and i was interested um in your ted talk you have this quote if we have kids who are acting entitled and lazy it's because we ask too little of millennials and not too much and so i was wondering how does that jive with achievement culture 
and burnout and some of those things like on the other end of the misconceptions that millennials are lazy or just not doing anything? Yeah, well, you guys, we're all in the same boat. I coached this team from 2000 to 04, a high school hockey team. Since 06, I've taught at the University of Michigan. So it's this data is more currently updated, I guess. But uh, by that, uh, it's not achievement culture I'm trying to get. Um, it's behavior culture. It's the culture itself. In other words, work hard, support your teammates. We're our only two rules. We kept it very simple, a la Ted Lasso, of course, our mutual hero here. Um, and I did not worry about wins and losses. So if we get our butts handed to us 13 to 2, and I'll remind your listeners, this is hockey, not football, not American <laughs> football. Um, so th- those are, you know, like soccer in increments of one as we get to 13. So it's a brutal night. By the end of that night, I knew their damn fight song because I heard it 13 times. So that's pretty bad. Trent has won 14 state titles, so they're they're the they're, they're man you. So there you go. <laughs> um, I wasn't the, the guys were frustrated, but I was not mad at all. I said, "Hey, what are our two rules? Work hard, support your teammates." I said, "That's right. Did we do those things tonight?" And they thought about it, and they thought, "Actually, we did. We didn't point any fingers. We support each other after every single goal, which is no small trick. We worked hard to the very bitter end." I said, "That's right. It's extremely hard to do those things when you're getting your butt handed to you." 13 to 2, I was not going to spin that. I'm proud of you. We define ourselves. Mm. So the key to this approach is that you, in a zen-like way, kind of, and this is very much Ted Lasso, you focus on what you send out to the world and not what comes back. You don't control what comes back. Uh, you send your articles out, as I do as a freelance writer to the magazines, and you're probably going to get a ton of rejections, and I did. You don't focus on that. You focus on how can I make my stories better, put the stamp on it, and take your chances. If you call her up, in the old days, now I guess you text, of course, you make your best pitch for a date, and if she says no, you can't you can't lose too much sleep over it. Um, you worry about what you f- throw out to the world, and not what comes back. So it's not so much achievement culture, and I and you raise a very good question there, Christian. I'm not trying to say push, 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 yeah. you know, tiger mom stuff and all this craziness. And no, I'm saying let's focus on what we're doing and do that better, um, and raise the standards, not lower them. My the advice I got from another Ted Lasso kind of character, Al Clark at Culver Academies, a very soft spoken Phi Beta Kappa math department chairman who happens to be the winningest high school hockey coach in the country. It's a very unusual combination. Um, he said, you've got to make it special to play for Huron here in high school in Ann Arbor, my team. And I said, we're already ranked the worst team in America. That's pretty special, I think. What do you think? And he blew off my little stupid joke. And he says, uh, no, the easiest way to make it special is to make it hard. And that is oxymoronic. The easiest way to make it special is to make it hard. You think that's crazy. But then you think about it, the Navy SEALs pay $54,000 a year. Um, it's the hardest job in the world, and they take 6% of those who apply. Because they don't apologize for the hard, they don't deny it, they celebrate the hard. And other side of the political spectrum, if you will, Peace Corps, same thing. You need a college degree from a good school, uh, they'll pay you a few hundred bucks a month to go to the poorest places in the world, the hardest job you'll ever love. That's their slogan. Yeah. This stuff works because what I find with millennials and Generation Z, my generation more so motivated by power mm. and prestige and pay. Um, I'm sure they'd rather have more pay than less. But a lot, I think the majority of this generation are motivated by more intangible things, a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense of mission. And Ted Lasso sells those undeniably that this is a special team. We're not like other teams. And you want to establish that as fast as you can. We are not like other teams. 
and I knew I was working with my captain, Mike Henry, great guy, still a good friend. Um, going to the hockey game tonight with him, as a matter of fact, and he's got two kids older than mine. So now he gives me parent advice and I have to take it, but that's a different story. <laughs> His great line was to a, a ninth grader who's grumbling about something. He said, hey, you play for Huron and it's harder over here. And that's when you know, now you got a special thing. I want my class to feel special. I want my team to feel special. You're not like the others. The standards there don't apply to us. We have higher standards. And it's about behavior though, not results. If you do these things, the results are gonna come, but you never know when or how or why. It's pucks bounce, man, and so do soccer balls. Um, I mean, and they suffer some tough losses. I love the show, by the way, because it's it's fairly realistic. This this coach is completely different, obviously, but they, they don't hand it to him on a platter. It doesn't all of a sudden work. Uh, they get, you know, they get relegated. It's tough. And but he sticks to his values. That's the beauty part. Also in the TED Talk, you mention needing discipline and affirmation. So millennials, they crave this kind of culture of discipline, but at the same time, you can't, you know, just like beat them down. You have to build them up as well. And you gave some examples Mm -hmm. of that in that early story. How well do you think Ted Lasso balances discipline and affirmation? I think very well and sort of surreptitiously. It's not Mm -hmm. obvious. You'd not call this, you know, you know, a military operation by any means, what he's running. But they have actually kind of hidden very strong standards. You don't criticize each other. Um, you come with a positive attitude to work. Um, you're ready to work. Um, we give our all, and if we lose, we don't give up, and we don't slam things. Um, they tap the, you know, they tap the sign for a reason. Believe. Uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure, later on. So on the grand scale, I think he does quite well. And, and again, sort of in a sneaky way. He's obviously extremely strong at affirmation. And I often hear from corporations, you know, this generation needs to be praised all the time. So do it. Screw it. <laughs> I mean, quit complaining about it and do the damn thing. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be real. I'm not going to, you know, congratulate you for putting your shoes on. Um, I have to have a tangible reason for doing so. But, hey, if, if flowers require water, guess what? Water them. Mm. So how hard is it? Dalai Lama had a great line. He said, uh, great line. It sounds, it's kind of superficial for the Dalai Lama, but anyway. Uh, you got a great one-liner on this one. You're going to love it. Pick up a line, really. Um, but anyway, um, he said, uh, if you want to make somebody else feel better, show compassion. Mm. If you want to make yourself feel better, show compassion. And praise is a form of compassion, I think. If you want to make them feel better, praise them. If you want to make yourself feel better, praise them. Whatever you water grows, so you might as well water the flowers and not the weeds. The flip side of that, the the discipline side, uh, I'm not talking about, you know, drill sergeant running into the ground, you know, suck it up, soldier can do more. None of that. Um, what I'm talking about, and I love asking this question in my corporate speeches, who is your favorite teacher? And I bet you guys off the top of your head, you guys both teach, of course, you must have had some powerful ones. Who were your favorite teachers? You can answer this question right now. Anyone in the world can mm-hmm. do this. And I've asked the question from Vancouver to Sao Paulo to Santiago in English, Portuguese, and Espanol. And everybody in the world within five seconds can name their favorite teacher. So who are yours? Oh, ours. I'm putting, putting in the spot. I'll take it. I mean, immediately, especially in a context like this, I think about my high school band director. Um, very, very similar. You know, I'm a, I, I do have to put my stuff on the table and say I am like, I'm not even an older millennial. Like I'm kind of firmly situated right in the middle. So I, you know, a lot of this is resonating with me personally, but our band director was an older guy. You know, he was close to retirement age when I was in high school, but he ran a really tight ship that was all about the idea of delayed gratification. And that's something that like in everything I have done has always stuck with me. And we were, it was a very good program in the state of Texas where marching band is very serious. And so, yeah. Sure it is. Cause football right, is. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, like that's someone who, 
anytime I think about someone who's had a big impact on the way I respond to anything, like it's, it comes from that. And he would always say, band, band is a microcosm of life. And that's true with athletics. It's true with anything that you do as, as a member of a team, because we live life in community. And so it's always something that's been so helpful to me. I love that. Uh, what was it, what, what was his name, by the way? Uh, Rob Lee Toops. Rob Lee Toops. That's a name for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you already answered one question. Was it easy? No, he wasn't. Uh, obviously very high standards, but did he care about you? Oh yeah. And how'd you know that? Because, you know, it's in a different way than Ted, right? He, he cared about making his students into like better people. Like he wanted us to mature. Like he had, he had four years, ninth through 12th grade. Mm -hmm. And like when you were in that program, like he was always pushing you to become more mature, a better person, like just more organized, like more adults, because, you know, you, you need a little bit of those skills, even getting into college or else you're going to, it's going to hit you like a freight train. You know, I, having been in the college or else, or else you won't be in college, right? Exactly. <laughs> having been in that environment for the last seven years, working with students, like you see that the ones who come in and just have like none of those skills, like it's a very hard transition for them. And so I think that was one of the things that he instilled in all of his students that really like made the program successful, but then also like made us into better humans. Mm -hmm. I love it. And you've never forgotten the guy, obviously. Are you still in touch by chance? Uh, not much. No. S send him a note. He, you, you will never regret it. Trust me. And he will love it. I've sent him a note before shortly after I graduated college, but you're right. I should send another. I will. Uh, Rob, send him this thing. He'll love it. So Christian, how about you? I had a college professor named Dr. Kim, Dr. Johan Kim, and he was uh, a Greek professor and like you're saying, he set a really high standard, partially because his brain worked differently from the rest of ours. He knew Latin and German, um, Korean, English, Greek, Holy Hebrew. Smokes. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he thought he was being super like patient and easy on us. We felt like he was pushing us. And there were only <laughs> five of us in the class. And so it was like kind of a, a sparring session, you know, because there was nowhere to hide in the class. But I do also know that he cared for us and, and he and his family have remained part of our family because um, he taught us how to cook Korean food. He invited us over to his house and um, just taught us some of the, the characteristics of, of the culture. And his wife um, wrote down a recipe like on the back of a, a blank pay stub because she worked in the college uh, financial aid office. And it was just like what was laying around. So she grabbed it and wrote down a recipe, a recipe for the dish um, bibimbap. And that is still oh, yeah. the dish that my wife asks for, for her birthday every single year. Like, well, you know, it's birthday. I want my special meal to be bibimbap. And so, yeah, like he's remained like in my mind as a favorite professor and someone who taught me a lot, but then also um, more than that, like emotionally and, and, just kind of like in my heart as someone who cared for us and still still lives with us to this day. I love it. Uh, by the way, I've asked that question from Vancouver, as I said, all over the world. And it could be a third grade teacher, it could be a band director, it could be a college professor. The variables there, there's no constancy whatsoever. It's, you know, male, female, you name it. Uh, but the two things that always stand out, one, uh, the person had very high standards, uncompromising in that sense, whatever they were, whatever their standards were. Um, and two, they cared about us. One or the other is not going to work. If I care about you and I don't push you, okay, I'm an easy A in my schedule. Great, I need one of those. But I'm not going to remember you. Um, if you push me and you don't care about me, you're a jackass, and I will remember you. <laughs> but I will not. But it will not be fond. Uh, so, but if I care about you so much that I won't let you fail, mm. that you can mm. do better, 
that's the guy, those are the women and so on that you never forget. And that's what I'm talking about here, not just being a hard ass. That's that's yeah. simple and doesn't get you very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, engaging with them in a way that Ted Lasso does. They play for him. Um, they respond to him. They don't want to get traded. Um, that's that's what you want. You want somebody, when they leave your class, they get teary-eyed. That's what you want. Mm. There's also that dynamic that Ted has with Coach Beard. Beard sometimes has to remind Ted or push Ted a little more toward the athletic excellence side of things instead of being so fully focused on development. Well-being, so, right. Yeah, in that way, like they're a very effective team. He makes Ted stronger. What was your relationship and the division of roles like with your assistant coaches when you were coaching? They were the key. Um, and back to the earlier point uh, with the players, and by the way, for all the talk of being tough, and we were, we had four months off season, not one player quit. This is my point about millennials, that uh, this is the worst team in America. These aren't Navy SEALs. And we had brutal practices. We all threw up on the track at some point or other. I did. They did. Assistant coach Mike Lappers did. It was not a pretty scene. <laughs> but not one player quit. This is where we underestimate them. They wanted this. They started inviting their friends down from other teams to see if they could hack the workouts. Um, you get that going after a while, and it's become self-perpetuating. Um, but back to the current question, of course, with uh, Lasso and assistant coaches. Beard's a great uh, character there. Nate was, of course, till things go sour. Um, that was that was hard to watch, but uh, for me anyway. But uh, the the cool thing, I had the most overqualified assistant coaches in the world. You're allowed. You're supposed to have like two, and I had seven. Because why wouldn't I? Uh, I'm not paying you anyways out of the budget. And I, I pay a pair of hockey gloves and a sweatsuit, what you get, uh, and a shirt and a tie. Um, we had guys who played in Sweden. We had guys who played at the University of Michigan on top teams. We had some of the best players in the city. And my goal was to be the dumbest guy in the coach's room, and I greatly exceeded my expectations. I was by far the dumbest guy in the coach's room. I wasn't even close. Only had one rule, that uh, when we walk out of this room, I'm the head coach. You have to respect that. Um, as long as that's cool, we're good. And... Wrigley, the gum magnate, we all have his gum now. 80 years ago, he he said, if two people in business always agree, one of them is unnecessary. And I love Mm. the diamond dogs, the interaction. Hey, they're, you know, what do we do here? And he he solicits real advice. Doesn't always take it, uh, which is also realistic. But uh, I love that back and forth. We had phenomenal assistant coaches, overqualified. Any one of them could have done my job, I'm sure of it, and maybe better. But we, when I ask you a question between periods, we have 15 minutes when the Zamboni's on the ice. When I ask you a question, you don't answer it with a question. You give me your damn answer. All right, whether I like it or not, whether it's good news or not, I have five minutes. And I gotta go talk to the team for five minutes and we're back on the ice. Um, so it's not a time to be shy or bashful. You gotta speak up. And, uh, and Colin Powell had a great line here. It applies to both uh, staff as well as the players. Um, he said, the day your people quit bringing you their problems or their ideas is the day that you quit being their leader. Um, mm. I want your ideas. I want your problems. If I don't know about your problems, I can't solve your problems. Um, so don't, and they never come at a good time. It's, you know, you're always doing something else. You're busy. And then some comes, comes with a problem. Oh, crap. Here's a problem. Uh, but if you don't know about the problem, that's worse because that guy's going to leave and you won't know why. Nate is that case. Uh, that problem mm-hmm. should have been solved upstream in an ideal world uh, yeah. before it got to that point. And now you got real problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and again, the show is um, more realistic than it gets credit for. It's not Disneyland. It's, uh, I thought, quite real. So the coaches were a key to all this. Um, and getting their real opinions was crucial. And if you, don't, if you have yes men, you're in trouble. So I want to take it back just a second to uh, 
head coaching and kind of how we, how we met up with you online. And it was, uh, we saw the folks kind of shouting you out that you had been on good morning America, that this with this and the ideas behind your book and the American sports journalist, Dan Shaughnessy, the quote that always sticks out is that he called your book where Ted Lasso meets the mighty ducks. And obviously having grown up on the mighty ducks and now being so involved in Ted Lasso, that rang true for me, even though I'm not an athlete by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> anymore. So like you said, the spin of your book is sort of like, you know, I took this, the worst hockey team in the country and we became successful. One of the best in the state, one of the best in the country. What, what's the worst hockey team in America look like compared to say the horrible version of the mighty ducks? Well, you kept the, you're too nice to mention the other part, the worst player in school history. Oh, yes. Part of that. Coached by the worst uh, player in school history. Zero yeah. goals. And then, yeah, not false humility here we're talking about, not false modesty. <laughs> I, I've got numbers, people. I got, I got stats. It's quantifiable. I dressed for all three, all three years, which back then is all you could do, nine, 10 through 12. On the varsity, 86 games, fewest goals, zero. And I played right wing. That was my kind of my job to score goals. So uh, <laughs> that's not very good. Although I'd like to joke that my brother was also on the team. And of course, uh, he also failed to score. So it's a family record, but he likes to point out that he played goalie. So, but hey, we all got excuses. <laughs> so worst team in America and worst player in school history. Fabulous. This has got to work, right? <laughs> um, so when you take over, what do you do? Well, as my dad said, as the title of chapter one, when you're on the floor, you can't fall out of bed. And that's, a, my dad's not a motivational speaker, obviously. Uh, but that's where we were. And that's when I got Al's advice. You already got that one. Make it hard. And you already asked, you know, when I turned it over to them, um, did I ever regret it? First day, we did counting and stretching. I wanted the seniors in the inner circle and all the other players in the outer circle. It's got to be a senior-led team. It's got to be from them, not me. And the seniors are supposed to shout one, and everyone else shouts two, then three, then four, then five, you know. Pretty simple stuff while we're stretching our legs or whatever. And we couldn't do it. Uh, but instead of me taking it over, again, again, again. Again, this took 20, 25 minutes. It basically burned through half of our workout, just trying to count and stretch properly because they didn't want to care. I mean, they were, they're, they're certainly capable of doing it. They weren't stupid. Um, but they'd gone through this hellish process where it's funny to not care and be winless. It's not funny to care and be winless. One of the hardest things I find with the younger generation is to cut through all the irony and all the attitude and say, we're actually going to care about this. And Ted Lasso does a great job of this. You know, they believe. He requires that. That's, that's their standard is belief, mm. which is not a small standard. It's more important than being on time in some ways. It's hard to do it. And we'll get to that probably later on. I'm bouncing around here a bit. But uh, Herb Brooks was a mentor to me. He was the architect of the amazing Miracle on Ice that beat the Soviets 4-3 to in 1980. And he'd been working 20 years for that moment. It was not an accident. It was an upset, but not an accident. And I asked him before we had to play Trenton again, the same team that beat us 13-2. to um, We got him a year and a half later in the regional finals. We now have 16 wins. We're the second best team in school history. I did not cut one player from the, from the winless team. They all kept playing throughout their, their careers. We're playing Trenton again, regional final at their place, as tough as it gets. And I asked Herb Brooks himself, a friend of mine through reporting. I said, okay, Herb, we're the Americans, they're the Soviets, what do we do here? And he said, Johnny, just tell him this, Minnesota accent. Above all, you gotta believe. If you don't believe, nothing is possible. If you do believe, anything is possible. And it comes with the catch. And the catch is, just because you believe and work hard and support your teammates does not mean you're gonna win. And you can't guarantee that. You can guarantee it's gonna hurt if we lose, but it'll still feel so much better than not caring. It'll still feel so much better than, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the ring quote, look that one up, it's fantastic. 
Um, so we lost that game three to two. We outshot them thirty to twenty-seven, according to our stats. Our players got a standing ovation from their from their fans. Their captain told my captain, "You guys should have won this game." And we went to the locker room and I said, "What are the first two rules of Hiranaki? It's a joke from the previous butt kicking. Work hard, support your teammates." I don't. Do we even have to ask? That's what it got us. We lost the game, but it was heroic. So and it boils down to the belief system we're talking about. Oh, so sorry, sorry. I, and I didn't answer your damn question. How bad was it? Well, I guess I did. We couldn't count and stretch. That's how bad it was at first. Um, we won three games right away. Then we had a 10-game losing streak. Results don't happen overnight. But our behaviors had changed. The culture changed. We were working hard every night to win. We had a lot of close calls. Um, so we were very similar to the Mighty Ducks with one crucial difference. Uh, and maybe Mighty Ducks is kind of like this too. Our guys were surprisingly unified. And that's thanks to the seniors before I got there. Brian uh, Skiles, some other players like that, turned it from negative to positive despite not winning a single game all year long. So I did not inherit that problem, and that was crucial. So, but I mean, we were who we were. Thirteen to two is thirteen to two. I can't spin that. I have a follow up kind of on that too. Like you talked about cutting through the irony, which I think with both sort of millennials and Gen Z, like that's such a that's such a big way to gain the respect and to to, sh- to demonstrate authenticity because like you mentioned like they see right through hypocrisy they see right through superficiality and so as you're changing the culture which is a big part of this philosophy you talk about in the book what were some of the specific ways that you saw like these seniors that you mentioned like bring that about in the younger players who again sort of have this like less mature you know more ironic kind of like oh we're the worst team that's funny you know what were the ways that you like specific ways that you saw people like the students helping each other along in that way good question well i can tell you back to how bad it was the previous year when there were zero and 16 at that point there were middle of the season or two-thirds of the way through at a school dance they got in the middle and started chanting uh oh and 16 uh that was Speaking of cool irony, they're wearing that as a badge, how cool they were to have not won a game. So <laughs> that had to go immediately. We're going to care about this. Whether we win or lose, we're going to care. Right. And and Lasso does a phenomenal job in that. He is never ironic. He is always sincere. Mm-hmm. Always, but as you say, authentic. It wasn't cheerleader stuff. I meant this. Right. I believed it. Um, believed it to my core. And I wrote that in my first letter. I believed at the bottom of my heart that we can and will create a dramatic change in here in hockey. And at the end of that season, at our little banquet, some of the parents blew that line up and made it a, a poster, basically, because uh, they did believe it. And if you don't believe it, walk out, because it's not going to work. Uh, if you don't believe, never expect them to believe, because they're not going to. Uh, like you said, they smell BS a mile away these days. They're really good at it. And what I also got from Al Clark in that first lunch when he told me to make it special by making it hard, is that uh, if they know that they had to do things that other teams, other classes, other organizations, other companies are not willing to do just to be on the team, then after a little while with a little nudging and not much, they will start enforcing it themselves. And I already told you how Mike Henry turned to one of these guys. I mean, steam is coming off the track. It's so hot that day. It rained. It's 93 degrees. It's humid. You can't see the goalposts because they're wiggling. And I say, we're not going to complain about this. We're not going to whine about this. We're going to beat every record we've got in this track. Who's with me? And the whole team's with me except for one ninth grader grumbles. And that's when Henry turns to him and says, you play for Huron and it's harder over here. Henry yeah. did not vote for me in the on the search committee, by the way. He, wasn't, he did not want a part of this. And within two months, we were very much on the same page, doing the same stuff. And you guys know from your own teaching background and being directors and so on, I can say it all day long. That's fine. But when a senior says it, who's cooler than you are as a ninth grader, who's the big man on campus, very popular in the school, when he tells you that, you have to listen. Mm-hmm. And a great line I get from John Cooper 
who actually was coaching at Lansing Catholic Central in Michigan. His last year was my first year at Ann Arbor Huron. He now is the Tampa Bay Lightning coach in the NHL, two straight Stanley Cups, trying for a third this year. So I guess I guess our career paths, Christian, have verged a little bit because uh, I'm not coaching today. Yeah. Uh, so I guess he's done pretty well. Great line. Bad teams, nobody leads. Good teams, leaders lead. Coaches lead. Great teams, everybody leads. That's the whole point of the book. It's the whole point of Ted Lasso. Yeah. Is yeah. It's not just from him. It's you know Beard, it's Nate, and it's the players, and it's Roy, and it's all the guys. It's got to come from everybody. If everybody's going that direction, it's really hard to lose. Uh, that's, that's a fun team to be on. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'd like to connect a couple of dots for folks for whom the name Herb Brooks was maybe unfamiliar or slightly familiar, but they can't quite place it. So as you mentioned, he was uh, the U.S. hockey coach in 1980. He led one of the biggest sporting moments in U.S. history when um, the U.S., upset Russia in hockey and then went on to win the gold medal. It's a story that um, is told in the movie Miracle. And most people have heard the uh, Do You Believe in Miracles call from Al Michaels. It's like iconic in sports calls. Um, And Herb Brooks has a quote, above all, you have to believe. And I guess the one other thing I would add is Ted Lasso, when he's decorating his office, he does have a picture of that 1980 hockey match that he puts up. So Ted is familiar with Herb and we have this dovetailing or this borrowing, I guess, of believe. How do you define that intangible concept of belief? And I guess maybe what does it look like on an individual level and or a team level? That's a great question. And I don't know how good an answer I have. Um, I recall in the 60s, I don't recall it, I read about it. I wasn't, I wasn't around. Uh, uh, a Supreme Court justice, they had a pornography case. And mm. what is the difference between you know, painting nudes in the Renaissance and Playboy? And you know, what's the difference between porn and art? And he said, classically, uh, I can't tell you, but I know it when I see it. And yeah. I hate to use the porn argument here, but it applies. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I could tell you, but it's unmistakable, unmistakable when you see it. You feel it immediately. They feel it in you and you feel it in them. And I guess one of the signs would be, are you willing to say it out loud? 
Are you willing to say that, you know, I care about these guys, I care about this team? Uh, after our last game, are we crying? Um, at the senior banquet, are the seniors pulling tears? If the seniors aren't pulling tears at the senior banquets, we've screwed up. doesn't matter what our record is. Uh, they don't care that this night is over. Um, I, I want them to be sad this experience has ended. So I guess that's, that's the best I can do. Uh, but I know it, you know it, they know it. And there's no mistake in it. When a guy is one foot in, one foot out, it doesn't matter what he's saying, if he's saying all the right stuff or not. It's something's missing and you know it and you can smell it. Um, we had a feeling when we played Trent the second time in that locker room that, man, I, I always gave the pregame speech and then I turned over to the seniors, seniors, your room, your team, and I walk out and they would keep the fire going and expand it from there. And they had three or four guys that day talking, apparently. I was out of the locker room and they're just going nuts, absolutely nuts. They come flying out, they would get the first goal, we lost three to two, but that is a locker room where you know every guy in there is on fire. Every guy in there believes and Trent's in trouble. Uh, because of it, we lost, like I said. But man, what a great feeling! What a what a great effort! Um, that remains of the hundred games they coached. Our best game was a loss. Why? Because they believed. Uh, for the first time, they believed they could beat the best team in the state. They didn't do it, but they proved they could, and their belief was vindicated. You guys are right. You were not crazy to hope for victory here. Um, yeah, you're that close. Again, one of the central tenets that you write about is how how you give the students, the players, like the the permission to lead, and that everyone needs to be a leader. I can probably guess the answer to this question, but, and you've mentioned a little bit already, but was there ever a point during the process where you felt that turning over the leadership was a bad idea or that you had regrets or second thoughts? And then I'll add a second parter for you. Who in Ted Lasso would you like to see lead more in season three? I want Nate back. Of course, I'm bitter about that one. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and that shouldn't have happened, but anyway, Redemption, please. Uh, but it's, it's real. But, uh, did I regret it? I don't think I ever regretted. I had my doubts sometimes and I was scared <laughs> sometimes. Uh, it, it takes, what I'm describing here is simple, but it's not easy. It's a radical um, philosophy. It is a radical philosophy. It seems so straightforward. You have high standards, and then I help you achieve them, and then you guys achieve them. You know, the standards, not the results necessarily, but the behaviors. Right. Sounds simple. Uh, I, I, my kid's a six-year-old. One of the hardest things to do is teach him how to ride a bike and then let go of the damn seat. Yep. Um, and he's mm. going to crash. And, he's, and you have to let him crash. Mm. And then as a dad, that's extremely hard to do. Um, when I have them count and stretch again and again and again, it's, it was painful watching them fail at this. But we had to keep on doing it until we weren't, didn't fail at that. Till finally, at the end of the summer, we were so sharp doing this. The trainer, Rod Sorge, legend who's in the book, he's kind of our beard in some ways. Um, he dropped off some Gatorade jugs of water and so on. He brought back his student trainers just to watch us count and stretch. They'd never seen this in here in hockey before. That that in itself in August, long before season starts, showed that we believe now. We were, the, the irony was gone. We're, we don't see this corny. Uh, we're not too cool for this. That was the whole, we're too cool to care. No, we care. We officially care. So I, I almost never regretted it. It was scary at times, no doubt about it. Um, one game, our third year, I put him in charge of the entire game. Um, you guys are going to coach the team the whole way. We had a 14-game winning streak. We lost two straight games to Trenton, surprise, by a couple goals. Uh, close game to our arch-rival Pioneer, 3 nothing. They had a goalie from Finland. That's not fair, man. <laughs> um, so, so we had two losses in a row. What do you do? I call up the senior captain, Chris Fradner, and say, you guys are going to coach the team tomorrow night. And he says, what do you mean? I say, you'll find out. <laughs> so they got there, and the dry erase board is empty, and the score sheet is empty. Here's a pen. Here's the dry erase marker. 
pick your 20 guys in uniform, pick your five starters, change the lineup throughout the game, which you have to do in hockey, of course. Uh, pick the power play, the penalty kill, talk to the team between periods. And at the end of the game, you, not me, will talk to the Ann News. Hope you win. Um, they went out and crushed a team 6-0, a very good team. And I'm convinced that was why, because I was out of the picture. Uh, they could do it by then. Uh, so it's scary, and as you say, it's a radical approach. Uh, but every time I let the rope out, every, no matter how scary it was, man, it benefited because that way they feel engaged. It's not me giving orders. If you don't show up to work tomorrow and you're in charge of a project, the project fails. All right. If you're just not a cog in the, in the wheels, eh, who cares? Whatever. They'll find another cog. Um, if you're in charge of something, you have to show up. I need you. We need you. And that message is a loud and powerful one. So I got scared a few times. I wondered if I was crazy a few times, <laughs> but I never ultimately regretted it. I can say that with complete confidence. You talked earlier about how you would work out with your team. And that, like, I guess having that skin in the game was part of the process. If the Tampa Bay Lightning called because John Cooper <laughs> resigns tomorrow or University of Michigan calls because Mel Pearson, um, their coach of that very strong program, resigns tomorrow and they just offer you more money than you can refuse to take the job. How would you approach trying to work out with like high level pro or college athletes? We see Ted um, do it in one scene where he kind of surprises them with the idea and then like bust out ahead of them to <laughs> kind of um, get ahead of the crowd. But what would that look like if you were not dealing with high school students, but older, more accomplished athletes? Great question. One I've never contemplated before. And I've done hundreds of, you know, not hundreds, probably about a hundred interviews about, about this book. So uh, <laughs> you, you've gotten three or four questions I've never gotten before. So well done on your homework and your ideas. Uh, with the high school hockey team, the first year, I was in better shape than all of them. That was a problem. <laughs> I'm not playing. <laughs> so I could start in the back of the pack and, you know, on a sprint and start tapping. You know, I'd shove them over like this. Old man, fat old man coming through, fat old man coming through. There's a lesson in that. If I can do it at 35, you sure as hell at 17 can do this. Um, I didn't realize how important that was until I asked them for input on this book. And half of the 54 players sent me long 150 pages of stuff. Amazing. Um, and in there... I, it, came up, it came up again and again and again that the fact that I and our assistant coach, Mike Lappridge, our main assistant coach, uh, were doing all this stuff with them all summer long made a huge difference. And I didn't really appreciate that at the time. Um, with the pro teams, believe it or not, I would do the same thing. And they might love me more because I'd be so bad. Uh, <laughs> I'd get crushed by Michigan or certainly Tampa Bay. Those guys are quantum leaps ahead of us, of course. They're Avengers. Yeah. They're Avengers. Exactly right. They're, they're not at my level. Um, for a book, Three and Out, about the Michigan football program, uh, I worked out with the football team for six weeks. I got so crushed. These guys drop the bars, and it goes bam, 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 and I drop the bar, and it goes bink. Um, so <laughs> I'm not fooling them. Um, but in the first workout, I had to throw up, and I went over there to the trash, kind of threw up, and I thought, I hope no one sees this, which is impossible, and you know, 80 guys working out. Uh, and I put my, yeah, exactly, pull my head out, going like this, going, no one see that? Yeah, Bacon, you the man, get the poison out. I gained so much more respect from that than any bestseller I'd ever written, because now I was one of them, all right? Mm. That may be, you know, beyond the totem pole, as far as that goes, but I was suffering as much as they were. It's not the results. I would have to suffer as much as anybody I asked to suffer with Tampa Bay or Michigan. If I did that, they say, okay, the guy's crazy and he's not very good, but he's committed. And that's what I want. 
taking a little bit of a turn in the conversation at the end of your at the end of your time with the the high school team you turned things around and that's like you mentioned the season ended on a sad note with the the overtime loss to your rivals your bitter rivals and then uh, and yeah, then and you know what it still bothers me i mean <laughs> same it would have bothered me too shortly after that one of your players tragically is killed in a car accident where did you see mm. togetherness and belief in that moment with your team and the players you had coached and gotten to know so well yeah, two obviously very different things. We had a great season going. We're ranked yeah. uh, fourth or so in the state. Uh, the number one team is scouting us because they know that we're their main. They think that we're one of their main challengers, and we were. Uh, we were seventeen, three and five, I think. Um, only lost to two teams to that point. Um, so we're playing this game. We're out shooting them two to one, but it goes to overtime. We lose in overtime. It's fluky, and the coach, to his credit, said later on to a mutual friend, "We had no business be- beating that team." Um, so I put that quote in the book, but <laughs> you can't get them back. There are no do-overs. It's life. You yeah. lose, you lose. Yep. And, it's, and we're all crying afterwards. All the players were for 15 minutes before they moved a muscle. Uh, and we all thought that's about as sad as life gets. Mm. Well, it's not. Yeah. Of course, not by a long shot. At the banquet, all the players talked about was the values, not the victories. The locker room, how good that felt, what the experience meant. So I felt better about that already. And then two months later, it was not a player, but our assistant coach, Mike Lapridge. I mean, the players loved so much, and I stress this in the book. I don't usually talk about this for obvious reasons, but right. uh, but in the book, but it's, but it's in the book. Um, after our second year, the players got together and named him the unsung player, uh, the unsung player of the of the year. A yeah. coach getting a player's award. I've never seen it at any level. Yeah, um, and it was unanimous. It was all their idea. It was not from me. It wasn't my suggestion or hint. It was John Eldridge, John Elmo Eldridge, a great character in the book and a great friend. He's now a father as of last week. Um, he did it and the player said yeah great idea that's how beloved Mike Lapridge was and this is before anything happens Yeah. Uh, but then June 25th of 2003 um, he dies in a single car accident no drinking um, just an accident Um, and I can't I mean you get that call and you can't get your head around it for half an hour Um, then of course the tears start and then I've got to to gather the team Uh, our spring season has started summer season has started not a big deal but we all got to meet at the Chelsea rink at uh, one o'clock today. Um, and when I told them, most of them didn't know. Uh, these are 15, 16, 17 year old kids. Uh, Lapper was their best friend. I wasn't. I was the bad cop. Lapper was the good cop. Um, they loved him. He's the guy who kept the team together as much or more than I ever did. Uh, Henry did also. Other guys did. Um, so when you're telling this news, they've not lost a grandparent. Um, and now you lose almost every guy in the team would say Lapper was their best friend. Um, it's beyond tragic. It's, it's an obscenity. Uh, you can't do much about it. We did have a, a good service for them. Players all wore their green shirts and gold ties. Um, but afterwards, the most heartening thing is uh, I'm leading his parents down after the, after the service at the gravesite, um, leading them down to the car, Small Hill. Um, getting them in the car and here on the hill 20 feet above you know go rats okay we have some spirit left at least and then I see all the guys walking away with their green shirts but not the gold tie they're off and they're all of course pulling tears and normally I would have a lot to say about the ties not being on we leave the rink with them we, you go, we get home you can take them off that's when you take them off mm-hmm. um, but okay they've been through hell and back leave them alone and then two of our captains put their arm around me and say, Coach, we have a place for these ties. And they walk me up, and then you see, <sighs> you see a pile of 54 ties on top of Lapper's casket. And it was Elmo, again. 
um, who, and Emma and I had some run-ins. I mean, he almost quit the team at one point. Uh, I wouldn't call him a model citizen, but he got the spirit of it more than anybody at the end. And he just said, you know, ties stay with Lapper. Ties represented who we were. That was part of our cultural change. Green shirts, gold ties. We care about this. We look sharp when we come into your rink. We're not the sloppy team of old. The, the, the ties were a great symbol for us. They really were. So for him to take that tie off and put it on, then without a word being spoken, everyone else did the same thing. And I don't want to reduce this to a simple leadership philosophy because it's not. But if you want an example of what your people will do, when they believe, when they feel unified, when they're attached like this, mm-hmm. uh, that's where that came from. That would have happened in the first month if this had horrible accident happened then. We wouldn't know what to do. Um, not that we solved any problems by doing this. I'm not saying that. Um, but that was the culmination of who these men had. They weren't kids. They were, they were men. Yeah. Um, and they knew what to do. And I'm about to get choked up thinking about that right now. Um, so, yeah, there I am. Sorry, guys. Um, but that's as bo- as bad as it was. Um, I felt so much better about it, knowing that these guys could handle it uh, as as tough as it was. So, the two sports that you're really involved in covering and talking about and living, um, American football and hockey, are really defined by bravado and mm-hmm. um, toughness. And sometimes those are emphasized to the point where it really continues unhelpful and unhealthy versions of toxic, yeah, toxic masculinity. Um, and in Ted Lasso, there's this big emphasis on vulnerability and emotion. Like what do we do with those emotions? How do we share them? How do we process them? Mm -hmm. Let them out. Your boys got to a place where they could do that in a very difficult time. Looking back on that experience and also your experiences in football and hockey and working with boys, what are one or two tips that you would have for the rest of us in regard to how to talk with and be with the boys that were around to help them become emotionally healthy men? Well, don't want to give me too much credit on this one. I'm not a psychologist, of course, and just a high school hockey coach, but um, we never believed in the idea of, you know, a stiff upper lip, um, that you, you can't feel his emotions here. I cried in front of them several times. In fact, when we finally beat Pioneer, I read a letter from Mike Henry, uh, I'm sorry, before the game. He said, I know after this game, coach is going to be crying because he's so proud of you. Mike already knew that about me uh, before our second season. And he had gone on to Captain Kent State, actually. Um, mm. But that's how obvious my, I mean, my emotions were on my sleeve. Every banquet, I got choked up. Uh, and everyone saw that. Um, and of course, the Lapper situation speaks for itself. Uh, but once they see you do that, then they realize it's okay for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't see this as zero sum. It's not like, okay, we're on the spectrum. Do you fall? Are you going to be vulnerable and sensitive? Are you going to be tough and hard-nosed? And the answer is yes. Uh, you're going to be tough and hard-nosed, and you got to be tough and hard-nosed. Um, and in some ways, the tougher my players were, the more you can handle later on in life without falling apart. I'm giving you tools, hopefully, and the staff is and the seniors are and so on, giving you tools to handle whatever life throws at you. I don't want to put domesticated kittens out in the Serengeti and want you to get your head torn off. When you get to college, mm-hmm. I want you to be able to handle it. All right? If you get a C, handle it. If your professor doesn't like you, handle it. Uh, handle life. Handle life and not get overwhelmed by it. Flip side is that also means we're not going to be steel drums here. Um, whatever we're feeling is fair game. Um, they saw my emotions. I saw theirs. Um, the whole F your feelings, I don't believe in that at all. 
Um, I believe the opposite. Your feelings always matter. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to adapt to them necessarily. You're still on time. Sorry. The bus, you're, you're upset because the bus left on time. I get that. The bus is still going to leave on time. So, and, you know, some of our players went through some pretty serious emotional stuff, mental health stuff. Um, and talking to their providers, you know, their healthcare people, they said, you have to be sensitive to them, but you can't lower your standards. That's, that doesn't help. Um, in that case. So, but our emotions were front and center. I honestly think by being quote unquote vulnerable, by wearing our hearts and our sleeves, it made us tougher. Uh, when we're getting ready to play a trend the second time, the emotion in that room was because everyone there loved each other and trusted each other and believed in each other. We didn't get there by being, by having only half our emotions. We got there because all of our emotions were part mm-hmm. of that. Um, and then that's a hard thing. That's a hard team to beat. It's not a team you want to play because we actually did believe in each other. Those guys stood up the entire game on the bench. They didn't, they didn't sit down once, whether you're playing or not. That's a team that believes, and that's from all these emotions. And how do you bond? You bond because someone cries in front of you sometimes. Um, so all that stuff mattered. And after the game, they cried. And that was okay, too. You know why you cried? Because we love each other, and we worked our tails off. We deserved to win, and we didn't. And it was still beautiful. It was awesome. I'm so proud of you guys. This was our greatest moment, even in defeat. And they know it. They gave mm-hmm. us the innovation. Why? Because you're not the same team they beat 13-2. They see the difference. They're, they know hockey. And I know you. And so you walk out of here, you walk out proud with your ties on tight. <laughs> uh, and, and there'll be a big crowd in the lobby waiting for you in their ring to cheer you on, and you deserve it. Um, and I was getting choked up saying that, and they're already crying when I was saying that. Totally fair game. You want their whole person, you, and you have to be a whole person. So mm. you, you don't make a choice. Am I going to be tough or caring? Answer is yes. <laughs> when yeah. we tough, we got to be tough. When we caring, we got to be caring. And sometimes both at the same time. I think you touch on something really prescient there. And that's like, as leaders, it takes the effort to sort of like recognize that emotional maturity like matters, not only like from your, the people that you're coaching or working with, but like to show that like it's, it's, it's so easy just to sort of like disconnect and be like, this is the process. This is what we do. But it takes that, like, it takes extra effort to really like tap into your emotions and to recognize when your players or your students are going through something and to be empathetic to that. Like, that's not a weakness, Mm. you know, like you, you're creating a stronger relationship by saying, Hey, I noticed you weren't on time. That's not okay. But like, what's going on, you know? And then like, and then you like this relationship is stronger because, you know, maybe you find out, Oh, I didn't know you were dealing with this. Now, Mm -hmm. now I understand this about you and you understand that I'm not just an asshole who's like, you need to be on time no matter (laughs) what, you know, you have the standards, but you also like, like you said, when the, when that relationship is stronger than the the buy-in is just, it's like this, the cycle just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And so Dead right. I, I love that you point that out. And it's, I think it's so important for, especially for folks like for people who lead younger people, like it's just, it's such an important piece of it. Like Colin Powell said, when they bring you your problem, stop what you're doing and listen. Yeah. And by doing that, and I learned that when I was 22 by accident, I was coming home from a bar. I was in charge of a dormitory at Culver Academies and I was allowed to drink. But I was not on duty that night. I'm allowed to live there. Um, There's a big problem when I came home in the hallway, some big screaming match. 15 guys, you know, I pulled out one of them and brought him upstairs to my room, sit down, you know, here's a Diet Coke, what happened? You know, instead of just starting yelling and screaming at everybody, which is my temptation. Um, and that guy and I were bonded forever. And I, I was shocked by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just 10, 15 minutes of my time, that's a guy I've got on my side always the rest of the year. And who doesn't want that? Um, yep. So he paid it back and then some. And my big advice there is shut the door. Um, when that mm-hmm. happens, get, get away from everybody else, shut the door and let them talk. 
Yep. And you'll find out more than you expect. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I'd like we'd like to kind of wrap up with a few of our uh, a, a couple of like more silly and fun a little we'll, we'll make it a little lighter a few lighter questions and so we've had the opportunity to connect with several folks who are deeply entrenched in hockey culture uh, as we've been doing this Ted Lasso project why do you think it is that Ted Lasso is so popular with hockey folks the the culture is very similar I think um, it's it's I know it's Canadian based in hockey but it's basically a European sport in many ways also hmm. this. Um, one guy cannot dominate a soccer game and one guy cannot dominate a hockey game. Uh, you have to have teammates. It does not work otherwise. And, you know, with the Jamie Tart is my proof. Hey, he's great. And you're still going to lose. Um, yep. So when Wayne Gretzky leaves the Oilers, he's got good team, but he never won a cup again. Uh, even the greatest of all time can't do it. So the reliance on teammates is part of it. I think the culture is similar in terms of the, the back and forth. It's less of a star culture. Uh, I think it's less arrogant in some ways, although Jamie Tart makes a run. Um, I, I think it's something friendly and familiar about that locker room to hockey and soccer people. And I've coached and played soccer before as well. It's very similar. Well, it's funny because you can hear about basketball teams that are very dysfunctional and still achieve at a high level, for example. But like almost any time you hear about a soccer team where there's stuff in disarray, it's like it, they, things are like the trajectory is down. Like and it, there's not there's it's rare that that's. Well, and here's that's why not the case. LeBron, LeBron James and three of us and anybody else want to name will beat most teams because <laughs> <laughs> we have LeBron James. So just give him the damn ball and we'll do OK. Well, you know, when with the Lakers, we'll beat any any team on a playground. We're going to win. I just know this. Uh, that is not working hockey. It is not working soccer. And, and in that sense, Lasso is very true, I think, to the soccer game itself, how the sport actually works. And Ted Lasso, his style and aesthetic is probably very familiar to you because it was inspired by current Michigan football coach, um, Jim Harbaugh. How do they match up to me as a person who casually pays attention to Michigan football from afar, Mm -hmm. their coaching styles don't seem very much the same. How do they compare and contrast you having seen coach Harbaugh close up and which of them, um, looks better in khakis? (laughs) Uh, well, Jim and I are the same age. We're actually hockey teammates growing up, believe it or not, Jim Harbaugh and I. Oh, yeah. Uh, one, of us, one of us was a great athlete. I won't tell you who. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's towards the back of the book. You'll figure it out. Um, so, Dad, he's 58. I'm almost 58. So, we're, we're fighting dad bodies and so on. I got to give it to Lasso. Sudeikis, you're looking great. So, there you go. <laughs> I'll, give him the, I'll give him the khaki nod. Um, but uh, how they're similar, how they're different, they're both passionate about what they do. Uh, they're both passionate about their people. Um, I think Lasso probably puts connection with his people um, higher than perhaps Jim does in terms of the players because you have so many layers of leadership in a football team. It's just how it's structured. Mm-hmm. You have 120 players. It's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, uh, Jim is more intense, probably more competitive than Ted Lasso. Um, but the overall feel, I mean, how they fixed it this last year, they had, they had the senior count, they had the leadership council at Michigan. It's, it's very much a Ted Lasso idea. It's one of my ideas, layers of leadership. Um, and that, that worked very well this year. They're two and four last year for you non-football fans, American football. And this year they're 12 and two, the best year in 20 years, basically. Um, he gave it to the players and they did it. So in that sense, it did work. So, um, I would love, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the beer. If we can get Sudeikis and Harbaugh in the same room, I'll buy the beer. I want to watch that one. <laughs> 
But I also give the writers a ton of credit on Lasso. That, you know, he's corny, he's different, he's making, you know, the little treats for his boss and so on. Uh, but right when you think they're about to go too far, they pull it back and they they always keep it. He's still a plausible character at all times. Yeah. He's different. That's why it's interesting. Yep. Um, but they they never quite overdo it. They're, they're getting close to the edge here and there and they pull back uh, and they've always kept it real. Uh, so... Uh, I'll, I'll pay for the Harbaugh. I'll pay for the Harbaugh lasso beers. No question. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing the story and then also some of the behind the scenes with us today. We've enjoyed learning about your experiences and seeing some of those real life crossovers. And yeah, we'll look forward to seeing how season three plays out and uh, continuing to chat about it on the internet. Uh, Christian and Brett, a ton of fun, by the way. I was looking forward to this one. I thought it was hilarious when I when we got each other's attention on Twitter um, and more fun than I even expected. You even got me choked up at one point, so you guys did your job. So, <laughs> shout, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Shout out to Mike Comito for the connection there, I guess. Yes, yes. Mike Comito, a, a, a hardcore hockey dude. Yep. Um, he, he's one of the best out there. Yep. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Brett. Richmond till we die. Yeah. Yes. that's our show. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with John U. Bacon. You can check out the show notes for links to his work, his social media accounts, his appearance on Good Morning America, and all the other cool stuff we mentioned in this episode. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, keep the conversation going with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both platforms is at Ted Lasso Pod. You can also send us a direct message by visiting our website at www.tedlassopod.com. This episode of Richmond Till We Die is brought to you by Gin and Kerosene Productions. If you liked the episode, we humbly ask that you subscribe on whatever app you're using to listen to the show and then give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. Or hey, why not both? It's the best and easiest way you can show your support for the pod. Okay, I'm Brett, signing off for Christian and John U. Bacon. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Cheers, y'all. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.